0: Okay, we've been transported to heaven in worship. Now let's uh, hear the word of the Lord, right? Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews. Again, looking at these passages, we'll, we'll be looking at Exodus and also Acts. So be ready to go there too, because we want to fill in the background of what these passages are actually saying. Talking about this morning, Moses... And of course we have seen already that biblical faith is alive, it's it's full of movement, it's full of action, it's full of conviction, it's full of struggle, it's full of decisions, it's full of choices. Every day that passes, you and I are making decisions based on our convictions and based on our growing knowledge of God. That becomes a key under, uh, point in this portion of Scripture. Growing in our knowledge of God. How much of God do you actually know? Because how much you know of God is going to determine your faith. The choices that we make are in direct relation to our commitment to please and honor God. We are being led by God. The person who doesn't know that they're being led by God is a person who's not moving. You ever heard the cliché, I guess you could call it, that God blesses a moving vessel? Well, that's true. The Columbia Space Shuttle Guidance System only kicks in when it's several miles up in space. What's the point that God's guidance system kicks in when you are in motion? That means you got to get off the launch pad. Are you stuck in a place where you're praying, Lord, I won't make a move until I hear from you. He's saying, you'll hear from me once you've done what I've already told you to do. You'll hear from me when you keep moving. Sometimes we know what God wants, but we don't like it. So we pray, hoping He'll change His mind and rubber stamp our desires. Sorry, He's not going to do that. See, the bottom line is this. When we follow God, you'll go out not knowing as much as you want to know. Stepping out in faith means that there comes a time when you have to move in the direction God is pointing. Will you have unanswered questions? Will you have unspoken concerns? Absolutely. Just like your car headlights don't shine around the corner or over the next hill. God will give you direction on a Need to know basis. As you need to know. And if you're walking and moving forward in faith, God will give you everything you need to know while you're walking. And He'll give it to you at the right moment. That's what's amazing about the Lord. And what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 7 we walk by faith, what? Not by sight. Actually, it's the only way to go. It, c- it keeps you close to God. It keeps you dependent on God. It helps you to remember when the credit comes where the credit belongs. See, God's guiding syst- his guidance system is infallible and understood by those who are pressing on in their faith. When we are considering the life of Moses and the Exodus generation, immediately, you get the sense of the struggle of living by faith. The portion of Scripture we are examining today display the next three of the five instances of faith from the life of Moses. And the problem, and I want to remind you again of the problem that the the writer of Hebrews is bringing to that Jewish, mostly Jewish audience that he's speaking to, is that he's trying to counter the real possibility that some of the recipients of his message were ready to forsake Christ for the safety and security of a religious system, and of course that system was called Judaism at that time, which of course does include Moses, and it does include God's commandments, and it does include the sacrificial system. What the author of Hebrews does here is he paints the picture he brings to the mind again that the greatest example of someone who follows Christ is Moses himself. So if you don't want Christ, then don't follow Moses. But if you follow Moses, he'll lead you to Christ. See, that's what he does here. See, it's, he, he gets this catch-22 situation and he, he removes all the problems. In their minds. And like John says, and I mentioned last time, if you believe Moses, you'll believe me, for he wrote about me. That's what Jesus said. So let's examine this morning the three of the, the next three of the five acts of faith in the life of Moses so far. And up until this point, we've learned number one, that uh, a faith that endures overcomes fear. We overcome fear by, of course, faith in God and His promises. And then also, secondly, a faith that endures chooses more wisely. What Really what happens is we choose more wisely when by faith God moves our will, He changes our mind, and He also fixes our eyes upon our lasting reward. He fixes our eyes upon Christ. And so today, let's consider thirdly A faith that endures sees God more clearly. A faith that continues on, presses on through whatever happens, sees God more clearly through the struggles, through the problems, in the problem, in the struggle, they see God more clearly. Because they know who's leading them. Look what it says in verse 27 of Hebrews 11 by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now, some have had difficulty figuring out whether this passage is talking about Moses' first flight out of Egypt or his second flight out of Egypt, which, which of course, became his final flight out of Egypt. Well, I'm going to kind of try to solve that this morning, because the first departure from Egypt mentions it quite differently than what's mentioned in verse 27. If you notice in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, what? Not fearing. Well, let's look back in Exodus, at his first first flight, because this is how he left. Then Exodus chapter two, verse fourteen and fifteen, and it'd be very uh, good for you to turn there to see with your own eyes in the Bible. He left actually in fear, and so did the people, or so uh, excuse me, so did Moses. And it says in Exodus two fourteen, but he said, "Who made you a prince or a judge over us?" Remember, this is after Moses had killed the Egyptian. It says, Are you intending to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the master has become known. The matter has become known in verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. I say this that if it was speaking of his first flight, Moses wasn't ready because he was full of fear. He was afraid of him being exposed. He was afraid of Pharaoh. He was afraid of the the Egyptian law. He was afraid. And he ran. Isn't that what you do when you're afraid? You run. So where does he do? He's 40 years old now. He runs... And it says in this passage, he departs to Midian. I call this faith boot camp. Because you know what? If you're going to live by faith, you will go through faith's boot camp. You will, because God has to teach us. Every one of us, we have to be taught. You know what we have to be taught? We have to be taught who God is. Because I say this Often. Everything you knew about God before you became a Christian is all wrong. All of it. See, God has to now get our minds on who he is. If he's ever going to get us where we need to go. So, now Moses is in the wilderness... This is the wilderness training and God humbles him. God changes Moses' Egyptian worldview. He drives the world out of him. He drives the sin out of him. And he pretty much lives as a shepherd and he humbles him down to the lowest rung you possibly be from where he was at. And of course... He teaches Moses who he is and what he wants him to do. And so for the next 40 years, rather than 40 years, God keeps him in boot camp. That's a long time. That's a long time. But what does God do there? Well, if you Take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 7. You'll find that several things happen in the wilderness. Here's the first thing that happened. He gets married and has children. It says in Acts 7 verse 29, the second part of the verse. But if I want you, I want you to notice what it says in Acts 7 verse 29. It says, and he became a what? An alien in the land of Midian. Remember, God's people, already we covered in Hebrews, are people who realize that, listen, we're living in a foreign land. This world is a foreign land. We're aliens here. We're not home yet. And he had to learn that. And so he felt, he became an alien in the land of Midian, and it's in verse 29, where he became the father of two sons. So he got married. He learned what it was to have a wife, to raise a family there, and all the things you learn in that process. And then secondly he met God. Verse 30 of Acts 7, it says this, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. Verse 31, when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight as he approached to look more closely there came the voice of the Lord. What did it say in verse 32? I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. And verse 33, but the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. What's going on here? You know what? Moses sees. A manifestation of the presence of God in this burning bush. He also hears God speak. And when he hears God speak, he learns to tremble with godly fear. He realized that he was in the presence of someone he has never been in the presence of. And it caused him to fear, and then God spoke part of the reason why he feared is because he began to realize after God spoke to him that in God's presence is the presence of holiness. That is God is not like man. God is separate from man. God is pure and holy. He is a blazing light and that no man, no man could come up against him. Moses had to learn that, so do you and I have to learn it. We have to learn godly fear. We have to learn God's holiness. We have to learn how serious God is about what he says. And we have to learn to listen to God, and to see God the way he has revealed himself in Scripture. If Moses had to learn that, of course we have to learn that. And then what does God do? He commissions Moses in verse 34 of Acts 7. God tells Moses uh, what he's going to do. It says in verse 34, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans and I have come down to rescue them. Come now and I will send you to Egypt. What is he learning here? He's learning this. He's learning that God sees oppression. He's learning that God hears the groans of his people. And he's learning that God has a plan to rescue them. Isn't that good to know about God? God the Lord doesn't do anything in a corner that we don't know what's going on. He's right out there. He, matter of fact, God's plan is so simple. It's A, B, C, bullet point one, two, and three. We don't have to miss it. God doesn't intend us to miss it. So he's learning that God is imminent. He's close to us. He's not just transcendent so far away and elusive. God is imminent, close. He's near. He hears He hears your groans. He hears your cries. He hears when you can't put things into prayers and knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows that. He's our great high priest. He understands those things and Moses also learned that God is a God of compassion he's compassionate full of long suffering and gentleness and kindness so in our passage in, in in Hebrews it says that Moses saw him who is invisible isn't that what our text says For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. In other words, Moses saw the one not able to be seen. Does that make sense? In other words, Moses saw the one not able to be seen, but exists. He exists. Moses must firmly be established and convinced of the existence of God. He already mentioned that in Hebrews eleven six, 6, where it says, For he who comes to God must believe that he what? He is! You know, some say, and if you ever do any witnessing, I'm an agnostic. You hear people say that, right? According to the philosoph- philosophical definition, an agnostic is one who neither believes nor disbelieves in the existence of God, one for whom the existence of existence of God is a real continuing open question a doubter in the existence of God but not as strong as an atheist who believes that God doesn't exist and of course an agnostic says give me, give me evidence and, and I may believe but the problem is you can stack up evidence between now and kingdom come and they still won't believe right? See, but they call themselves an agnostic in any case the scripture tells us if a person has that philosophy well that is all they'll have they in turn shut themselves off to any further revelation of the true and living God they deny with their senses actually they deny what their senses tell them and then they suppress that knowledge they walk outside everyday they see creation wow God's there God's creative, God's awesome, God's huge. And they deny it, they suppress that, and they say, well, there's no evidence. Of course, Paul dealt with that in Romans chapter 1. So Moses would, in the next 40 years, come to know the Lord more intimately. He'll come to know His light, His holiness, His presence, His compassion, and Moses will also come to know and learn his name. No, up until this time, the Lord has never told anyone his name. In fact, as directly as this, anyway. See, the fact that God, the fact is, God does exist and God does have personality. He is a person, he can be known. And he tells Mo- Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And God says I am who I am and he says thus you shall say to the sons of Israel I am has sent me to you. So when he goes back to Egypt, he tells the people, listen, this is God's name, I am. But remember I am means that God has always existed. He he never had a beginning. He was never created created. He was always alive. He's always been and will always be the same. There never was a time when God did not exist. God will never die. So he has to go to Israel and he has to tell them, I am has sent me. The founder and the maker of the world has sent me. The ruler of the universe has sent me. The giver and originator of life has sent me. God who has made himself known to the fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me. And of course, Hebrews adds to that. Remember in Hebrews chapter 1.1, God who's spoken in these last days, spoken to us in his Son. So, A.W. Tozer said faith is subjective but it's sound only when it corresponds with objective reality. In other words, man's faith in the mountain is valid only because the mountain is there. I see the mountain I could say it's there. Otherwise it would be a mere imagination if I would see the mountain and say it's not there. And that person would have to be sharply corrected to rescue that particular person from harmful delusion. If you go on thinking like that, you're going to be in real big trouble. So God is what he is in himself. He does not become what we believe he is. And that's the difference. There's the switch. This is the way we thought God should be And God says, no, that's not the way I am at all. This is the way I am. And this is who I am. I am that I am. And we're on safe ground only when we know what kind of God He is, and then adjust our entire being to the holy concept. Since true faith rests upon what God is, it is of utmost importance that to limit our comprehension of who He is would be absolutely wrong. In fact, we could not trust God if we just understood God based on our own terms. We can't trust a God like that. It was the psalmist who said this, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. See, the name of God is the verbal expression of his character. And confidence always rises and falls with known character. In other words, we know the kind of God he is based on what the word of God says about him. And we will put our trust in him because of that. And our faith and our trust will increase because of that. See, we are made in such a way that we trust good character. And we distrust bad character. Most, if not all of us, will not buy a car from a dealership which bears the name, whether in reality or by word of mouth, Lucifer's Shady Car Deals. We just wouldn't do it, would we? That would be a bad choice of name for a car dealer. And yet we know there's car dealers out there that doesn't have that name, but they're shady. See, we distrust people who don't have character. That's why unbelief in God is so wicked. It was was John who informed us the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God, what? Has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. So, Moses met God. And he was never the same again. He understood Things about the character and nature of God he did not know before. In fact, the Bible even tells us this, that Moses saw the form of God. You know the the song we just sang where Moses desired to see the glory of God? And God, what was that? That was Moses' hunger growing for God. That's faith growing for God. I want to know more of you. Paul says, and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. I want to know more. That's where faith brings you. It brings you to the place where your hunger for God is so intense, it has to be satisfied. You have to beg God to show you more. And that's what Moses did. In fact, if you take your Bibles for a minute, you look back uh, at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 12. Notice what it says, that God said about his servant Moses that he is faithful in my household this is what God says about Moses Moses, and then in Numbers 12 7 and 8 it says something it says not so verse 7 with my servant Moses he is faithful in all my household verse 8 of Numbers 12 with him I speak mouth to mouth even openly not in dark sayings and then notice what it says and he beholds the form of the Lord doesn't say that about anyone else He beholds the form of the Lord, even openly, not in dark sayings. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? This word form, of course, I I couldn't let this one alone. This word form uh, means shape. He saw God's shape. But in the pre-translation of the Old Testament, it's translated doxa or glory. Brightness, radiance, splendor, majesty. He has seen the glory of the Lord, it tells us. In fact, we can translate it like this. He sees the Lord as He is. And He wants more. The Hebrew word actually used in Psalm 96, and it would be important for you to turn there, is the word kabod, which means weightiness. When he uses the word glory, it means importance, significance. That Moses came to a place he understood the weightiness of God. It says in Psalm 96, verse 1, Sing to the Lord a new song, Sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless His name, proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day, tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families... Of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory of His name. Bring in offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earths. You know, that's just simply saying this. When we see God, we should see God like this. We should see God as so great so almost undescribable that we get lost in who He is and we begin to tremble before Him because we know the weight. God's, in a sense, man, that's heavy to learn about God. It's heavy to learn about what the terror of the Lord. It's heavy to learn about the compassion and plan of the Lord. It's heavy to learn about the character of God. But when you learn it, it changes everything about your life. You can never be the same again. See, the secret of Moses' faith was that he knew God personally. To every task he went in the presence of God and came out from the presence of God with the boldness in his God. He learned to face God before he learned to face people. It was told that before a great battle, Napoleon would stand in his tent alone, and he would stand stand there and send for his commanders to come to him, and one by one they would come, and when they came in, he would say no word, but he would look at them in the eyes, shake their hand, and they would go out prepared to die for for, for the general in whom they loved. See, that's what Moses did. Exodus 33 says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. And here's the key to all of it. The source of true faith is God. Why is Moses able to face all things that came his way, no matter how difficult or impossible? Because he lived as one who sees him, who is is invisible. Now, this is what I say. Take your Bibles and turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. Now he can face the king of Egypt. You get that? Now he's ready to stick his finger in the face of the king of Egypt and say, thus says the Lord. Let my people go. Look at now Hebrews 11.27. This is the second departure Egypt in fact Moses comes back to Egypt he prepares the people and it says in verse 27 by faith he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king why because Jesus spent 40 years in boot camp training for this moment and knowing that God is greater than Egypt God is greater than the powerful Egyptian army, that God is greater than the gods of Egypt, because all the plagues were against the gods of Egypt, even the last one. And that God was greater than Pharaoh, God on earth. See, Moses had to know that, or he would have still been shaken in his boots. In fact, in Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, 27, it says, by faith he left Egypt. You know, the word that the Holy Spirit used here actually means to leave behind, never to return. This word is actually setting up the context to point Moses' second and final departure from Egypt because in Hebrews or excuse me Exodus 10 it says then Pharaoh said to him get away from me beware do not beware do not see my face again for in the day you see my face you shall die and Moses said to Pharaoh you're right I shall never see your face again but not in the context you're talking about in the context of which God's going to do to you See, that's boldness. That, in fact, again, Moses did not fear, and when Moses didn't fear, the people didn't fear. The leader didn't fear, and the people didn't fear. It's written by, in the psalm, in Psalm 78, listen to what it says in Psalm, in psalm 78, talking about this incident, he leveled the path for his anger, he did not spare their soul from death, but gave over their life to the plague and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the first issue of their virility in the tents of Ham. But he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they did not fear, but the sea engulfed their enemies. See, they didn't fear. It's not now just Moses didn't fear, but a bold, growing faith causes other people to have bold, growing faith. Where they see God high and lifted up. They see God the way He ought to be seen, and they learn to live that way. See, by cultivating the knowledge of God, we at the same time cultivate our faith. We overcome fear by faith in God and His presence. Here's a fourth thing we learn in Hebrews eleven twenty eight. 28. A faith that endures relies entirely upon God's remedy. Look what he says in verse 28 of Hebrews 11. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroys the firstborn would not touch them. In other words, by faith, Moses started something that would become the most important celebration of the Hebrew calendar. The verbal term here he kept is really in the perfect tense, and it means he attended to a celebration that was the inauguration of a divine institution. What God was doing here was going to have eternal effects. In other words, what was done in Egypt was to be repeated as an annual memorial, and that memorial is called the Passover. On this day, on this special holiday, the Jews would eat a special meal similar to the one their ancestors ate as they prepared to flee Egypt. It included, for the people had eaten a lamb, and then of course the lamb's blood was then put on the doorpost as Moses had instructed them. This becomes a very significant, significant event, both for Israel and for the church. The Passover. The Passover. Let's just see what it says about that in Exodus chapter 12. I'll read some of the verses there, not all of them. Exodus chapter 12. In verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households. A lamb for each household. Then down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And then, verse 7. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the house in which they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roast it with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And then down to verse 11. Now you shall eat in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and yet you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, eat and get ready to be delivered. Get ready to be delivered. And of course this holiday is celebrated around March, April, uh, every single year. Uh, And the Passover became the most important holiday in the Israelite calendar because it commemorated one of God's most powerful interventions in the nation's history. The Passover marked the time when God brought a final plague upon Egypt. In this plague, God destroyed the firstborn born of the Egyptians, and he spared, or he passed over, those Israelites who had followed the command to place... "...the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts." Again, if you're still there in Exodus, verse number 12 of Exodus 12. It says, "...for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the first point of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood..." I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, Now this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Now we know, if you've been around for a while, that this is to find its final fulfillment in the complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That Christ's blood fulfills the prophecy of the Passover lamb. For it is Christ's death that protects us from the wrath of God. It's it's the blood over us in which God passes over in judgment to you and I who know Christ. So someone who doesn't know Christ, who does not have the blood of Christ over them, then of course they are still under God's wrath. And Christ did die on the Passover. It's Paul who wrote in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Don't miss it. Or ignore it. Or refuse Jesus as the Passover lamb. And if you're there in Hebrews, if you look over to Hebrews chapter 12, notice the warning that's given again to his audience. And it's a warning based upon the sprinkling of the blood of Christ over those who believe in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation. And it says in Hebrews 12, verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Look at verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who, who turn away from him, who warns from heaven. In other words, that all of God's messengers and prophets warned and preachers warned from earth What about God who warns from heaven? If you don't, eternal life cannot be found outside of Christ. Deliverance from judgment is only found in Christ, and Scripture affirms that the work of Christ is the only necessary means provided by God for eternal salvation for all peoples, for all times, no matter what religion influenced them prior. Jesus Christ is the Passover. So the significance of Moses' faith carrying out that ordinance and carrying it out for the next 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness, with the people, Moses dying at 120. So the first 40 years, the second 40 years boot camp, the third 40 years coming before Pharaoh, the people being delivered, and then the people wandering in the desert were all part of Moses' lot, and it took a large amount of faith to lead those people who were backbiting, grumbling, complaining lot of people. And then when you get to a book like Revelation, it, it combines Moses and the Lamb of God in the same sentence where it says in Revelation 15:3, and they sang the song of Moses the bond sermon of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, What did they say? Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. See, in other words, Moses becomes very significant because Moses is a type of Christ looking forward to what the Lord Jesus Christ would do, and he lived that way by faith, and those who follow, even today, will believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to be made right with God, to be delivered from the wrath of God, because it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins, and God's judgment passes over us. That's an awesome truth. That's where faith brings us. We welcome, we actually overcome God's wrath by faith in God and His provision. You see, moving and growing in faith, in the character of God, always brings one to understand quite emphatically that nothing is too hard for the Lord. That's where it brings us. It brings us to what God told Abraham, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And then Job learned this, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that. How do you know that? You know how you know that? You know that by faith in the invisible God, who's made himself known. That's how you know it. So there's one last thing, one fifth thing, and it's quick. In verse 29 of Hebrews 11, that a faith that endures moves through difficulties victoriously. Look what it says in verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. See, the most powerful. Skillful military in the world is a very, very, very small thing against God's immense power and wisdom. It may have appeared to be bad military strategy to place the weak Israelites between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea with no place to go. And that would be bad military strategy. No general would even attempt it. But see, if the king of heaven's army is God himself, then there's no problem. If the king of heaven's army is for you, who could be against you? How can you lose? no one could be against you when the egyptian military attempted to pass through the red sea as the people of god did what does it say they were as passing through on dry ground that god cleared it all out in such a way it would seem like they were passing through on no trouble at all whatsoever to get to the other side but when the egyptian army tried it They were totally overwhelmed by the waters. They were consumed by the waters. In fact, they failed. And God very simply allowed them to drown. See, that's where faith brings us. It brings us to the place where we realize we overcome difficulties by faith in the power of God. There is nothing impossible with God. When you get to that place, the doubt is gone. The wondering is gone. Even a lot of the questions are gone. Why? Because you simply trust God's character. You trust in what God has promised. And if He's promised it, He will bring it to pass. I've been saying that all along, but that's it. That's what it means to walk in faith. That's what it means to grow to be a spiritual father. You learn to trust him who is invisible, yet who exists. And someday, because of your faith, you want to know more of him, you want to please him more, you want to serve him more, and then ultimately, knowing that you live as an alien in this world, you want to finally depart from here to be with him. That's where I'll bring you. That's the natural Flow of growing, moving, enduring faith. It'll bring you right to the presence of God, which you always wanted to be in the first place, but didn't ever know how to get there. Amen? See, that's where I want to grow to. And I know that anybody who knows and names the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior wants the same. And if Moses went through this process so must we. We cannot go around the wilderness. We have to go through it. Right? We cannot say I can't go through the boot camp. No, you have to go through it. But when you go through it you'll come out the other end a person you weren't before. You entered it. And you'll come at the other end to a place where you really love and trust the Lord. So I pray that this example of faith would bring us to the place that we overcome difficulties by faith in God's power, that we overcome fear by faith in God's presence, and we overcome God's wrath by faith in God's provision very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Lord again I want to thank you that your word is clear it is convicting it is honest as anything and Lord I pray that it's to be desired more than the sweetness of honey I ask you Lord that you would increase our faith I pray that we would all desire what you gave Moses I pray Lord that we would all come to the place where we understand these things by experience I pray that they wouldn't just be theory but they would be the way we live You are great Lord and you're greatly to be praised. Let us never take lightly what the Bible says is heavy. And Lord let us all come to you with the desire to know more of you. That even Paul who says to know more of the power of your resurrection the fellowship of your suffering oh Lord we want to know more. And Lord even though sin is sidetracks us, confuses us, puts us in a place where we get deluded. Lord, bring us back. If we're not saved, save us, Lord. Let us put our faith and trust in the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And Lord, do your work in us by your spirit and make us a people of faith. And I pray this In the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ.